0: In 1973, Daryl Anka was personal witness to not one, but two close broad daylight UFO sightings while in transit on a California freeway. Feeling on some level that these sightings were part of an unraveling for him into the true nature of reality, he urgently set out to understand much more about the universe in which we live. This journey led him on a quest that has now lasted over 30 years, Well known for his work in channeling the entity known as Bashar, Daryl has not only gotten a close-up view of how reality works, but through Bashar he has imparted hundreds of messages of wisdom and perennial philosophy that have been shared with millions all over this planet. This interview is no exception. We begin with a short anecdote that Bashar shares with an audience member during a live channeling session. The theme is imagination and how this often underutilized ability that we all have can literally shift our lives from one reality to another in an instant. Listen in. In order to get there, you have to make money. So is it. In order to
1: get where? uh, Did you just state a belief system? (laughs) In order to get there, you have to make money. Very interesting little equation. Is it empirically true? No. Is it true for you? Maybe. Do you prefer that to be absolutely chiseled in stone? No. Not necessarily. Can your imagination come up with any other way you might be able to get there without necessarily having money? I'm not saying money wouldn't be the way, but you don't know that yet. So why limit yourself no money at all? How can you get there with no money at all? Zero.
2: Right. Then Come I'm on, already use there. Your then I'm already there.
1: <laughs> I don't know. You can put it in practical terms. How can you get there with no money at all? Yes, it will help. If you have the vibration that you are there, that can be the magnetic attractor to attract the circumstances that can physically get you there. But I'm asking you to exercise and stretch your imagination a bit here. If you're going to be a teacher, you better have more of an imagination than this. Do you understand?
0: Yes, I do. All right.
1: Shall I give you an example? Sure. Oh, all right. Many of you have heard us tell this story. We will tell it briefly now. A friend of the channels was a photographer passionate 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 about taking photographs of the sacred sites around the world didn't have a dime didn't let that deter her from staying in the state of her passion and because she stayed in the state of her passion she had a thought that would not have come to her had she been in any other state remember you can't perceive what you're not the vibration of yes? alright so The thought she had, we understand. Most people on your planet would say, that's crazy. That will never work. (laughs) She didn't let that deter her. She stayed in her vibration of preference. And the thought she had was, well, I don't have a dime. I'm passionate about going around the world and photographing all these beautiful sacred sites. I'm going to go to the airline and I'm going to ask them to fly me around the world for free. Crazy? What do you think? Seems so. Seems so. Only by the definitions you've been taught.
0: Right. Yes? Yes.
1: She still knew that any kind of request still involves the idea of a fair exchange, an equal exchange. Yes? Yes. I'm not just saying you're freeloading. I'm saying there always has to be some form of exchange. But nevertheless, again, staying in that positive state allowed her to suggest An equal form of exchange. She went to the airline and said, I would like to ask you to fly me around the world for free to take pictures, beautiful pictures. Look, here's some of the pictures I've already taken. Aren't they gorgeous? Yes, they are. I would like you to fly me around the world for free and take pictures of these gorgeous sacred sites. And in exchange, you may use the photographs in your brochures to attract tourists to your airline. Deal. They said, and not only did they fly her everywhere for free, they paid her, put her up in the best hotels, fed her the best food, she lived like a queen, didn't spend a dime, made money, got her dream. Now, is your imagination that strong? Is your imagination that big?
0: Is your imagination that big? Daryl, what can I say? That story is so powerful, and it's one that Bashar shared about a friend of yours, someone that you know personally who executed on the incredible power of imagination. You know, I have to tell you, my original intent was to open with the idea of multiple versions of reality and of our planet, and maybe we can still manage to fold some of that uh, into our discussion. But after hearing this account, I had to lead off with this because, you know, so many, especially these days, are feeling so discouraged by what appears to be possible versus what actually is. So I'd like to open with that. What is imagination?
2: As Bashar explains it, imagination is the conduit of communication between your higher mind and your physical mind. And when you open that conduit, it allows you to have the kinds of inspirations, the kinds of ideas that are in alignment with your true vibration, which is expressed as excitement, passion, joy, creativity. Mm-hmm. And it's it's being willing to understand that <clears throat> those inspirations are coming to you from the higher mind to guide you mm-hmm. toward more of your true self. And when you act on the things that are exciting, no matter how out of the box they may seem, It really is the path of least resistance for you if it's aligned with your passion. That's what the passion tells you. That's what the inspirations and imagination are telling you, is that this is really the path that is keyed to you that will work best for you Mm -hmm. in general.
0: Okay, that makes sense. And yet so many, I think, Daryl, are losing sight of passion or maybe feeling a little that it's a futile endeavor because there's so many stresses of real life pulling on them that they, they forget that, uh, or maybe they haven't even discovered it. You know, uh, imagination and things like daydreaming, uh, as we're talking mm-hmm. about, have in this society been so discouraged, unfortunately. And to some considered an utter waste of time, daydreaming, which I happen to love. And yet right. there are so many, paradoxically, paradoxically, who revere our greatest thinkers without taking into account that it was their imagination that catapulted them to the level of greatness that the masses so admire. This seems to me to be a bit of hypocrisy. What do you think?
2: Well, yeah, it's it's certainly a a paradoxical point of view. um, Or it's just that a lot of people think they don't have that capacity. Uh I mean, I think one of the most important reasons Bashar told that story and made sure that everyone understood that he wasn't just making it up, that it actually happened to a real person on the earth, is to get people to understand that these kinds of things can occur in physical reality if we stay in certain states of being. Mm -hmm. That it's not just a fairy tale, it's not just made up, it is actually the way life works when we get into alignment and into flow with our true energy. So, He wanted to ground it, so to speak, in a very realistic situation, you know, and then there are other stories uh, of other people that either I know or other people know um, that he often uses as examples, again, to make sure people understand that if it can happen to them, it can happen to anyone, because they are just real people living daily lives, and it's just the only difference between... What happened to those people and what may, what may be being felt by the average person is just that these people were willing to stay in a positive state, to stay in alignment with their true vibration, and then these are the kinds of things that occur. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you think that there are some people, Daryl, that have a propensity or a proclivity toward being in that state? It's a more natural way of being, you know, sort of the right brain versus left brain type of uh, individual?
2: Well, certainly, but again, I think a lot of it has to do with what we were allowed to do or what was allowed to be okay when we were growing up. I mean, certainly a lot of this is, we're either taught out of it, Mm -hmm. I think it's a natural, I think it's a very natural state to be in alignment with passion, with one's passion, because you certainly see that in children all the time. But I think that a lot of times we're sort of talked out of it by our parents, our friends, our schools, our society, and then we kind of have to relearn it. So... It may just be kind of a rusty talent, but I think it's innate in everyone.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, I certainly do. I certainly do. And I, as I've said many times, I think the times in which we are living, which I agree and many others, may, perhaps you do too, that we're in this sort of proverbial shift. And I contend that uh, perhaps, you know, not having that passion and not acting uh, on our imagination may have its consequences. So it seems to me that, uh, and I I have to say that something else, if I could quote Bashar, he he translates the term imagination as a state of being that's literally magical. He spelled it out. I, Mm -hmm. magi, nation. We are a nation of magicians. I love that. I think that's so amazing. Well, you know, getting back to your friend, um, if if I may, she she allowed her passion to bring her into a state of proactive thought. This really tells me that passion is not just a notion. It's a vibration. It's a frequency that we must be on in order to hear the messages that will assist us on our own journey to realize our passion, right?
2: Well, yeah, because as Bashar says, you cannot perceive what you're not the vibration of First. So if you're not in that state, you can't even begin to perceive the kinds of opportunities or uh, situations or ideas or inspirations that would allow you to move on those things, that would allow you to take action on those things. Mm-hmm. If you're uh, of a completely different frequency, those kinds of opportunities and those kinds of thoughts are just invisible to you.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay.
2: That's why it's so important to be in that state first. Because nothing can happen on that level while you're not in that state. I mean, even Einstein said, you know, you can't solve a problem from the same level in which the problem was created. Mm -hmm. You have to go to a higher level of perception in order to even be capable of seeing a solution.
0: Okay, well, that makes sense. So many people know this intellectually, Daryl, but it it, again, and I hope I'm not belaboring it, but it just seems Mm -hmm. like it's such, because you get these questions, I'm sure, over and over again, and I think they're pretty clear, and yet it seems that there is some sort of a block, and we've talked about that, we won't stay on this too long, but uh, I I, I agree. You know, I think our teaching has... Conventional teaching, unfortunately, has perhaps done us a, d- a disservice to, again, discouraging imagination, discouraging true. true passion. I think people oftentimes will think they have a passion, again, relative to what they have been taught their passion can be that laundry list right. that someone else gave them. And therefore, it's never really a passion and therefore can never get on that vibration, right?
2: Yeah. Right, or, you know, certainly they will, uh, you know, they'll tire themselves out trying. Um, because if something is really not your frequency and you're attempting to do something like that, it's going to take a toll over time because mm-hmm. it's like you're resisting the natural flow. You're you're trying to swim upstream, and eventually that's going to tire you out. And And maybe sometimes that's what people will do is they'll just keep going against the flow uh, over and over and over again until they get so tired, they finally sort of surrender to the flow. And that's when they finally realize things start happening for them in a more positive way. Mm-hmm. But, you know, rather than <clears throat> rather than call these things blocks, uh, I would rather refer to them, as Bashar does, as it's simply definitions that we have, bought into as true that are simply out of alignment with who we really are and and that's actually the telltale key mm-hmm. is that you know when you have certain feelings that you know we would call quote-unquote negative feelings or you're feeling uncomfortable about something or resistant to something or self-doubtful or, you know, things like that. That's your first clue that you may be dealing with definitions in your unconscious mind that you're unaware of that are out of alignment with who you are. And it's all about owning the emotion that you're feeling Mm. that is being generated by that definition and using the emotion to trace back to what the definition would have to be in order to feel what you're feeling Mm. because as Bashar explains it, you can't actually have a feeling until you have a definition. So you can use the feelings you have that may seem to be very limiting feelings and say, you know, what would I have to believe is true about myself in this circumstance, in order to feel the way I do. And if people are willing to hear the answer, usually in some form or another, whether through just inspiration or dreams or synchronicity, the answer will come. You'll find out what that definition is. Mm -hmm. And any time you identify a definition that you've been holding on to that is actually truly not in alignment with who you are, as soon as you identify it, it will automatically appear nonsensical, and you'll realize that you simply bought into it from someone else and it doesn't belong to you. And as soon as you realize those things, you just drop it because mm-hmm. it makes no sense to hold on to it anymore.
0: Do you think more people are coming to that realization?
2: Certainly more people are. I'm, I'm finding, you know, a, even aside from uh, the information that Bashar delivers that sometimes people are attracted to, there seem to be many different sources of This kind of information coming from many different directions because, you know, there are many different belief systems, many different kinds of cultural approaches, many different ways that people have of absorbing information. So this kind of idea has to be delivered in a number of different ways to make sense to people coming from different perspectives. Mm -hmm. But I do see that many, many more people are kind of arriving at the same conclusion, Mm -hmm. even from completely different uh, backgrounds, completely different upbringings, completely different cultures, yet they all seem to arrive at at an understanding uh, of what we're talking about here eventually, if they're on that path at all.
0: If they're on that path at all, yeah. I think people are just getting worn out (laughs)
2: <laughs> from, yeah, yeah. You know, hitting your head
0: against a wall. It is tiring. It's energetic. Tiring tiring. To be,
2: yeah, tiring trying to be someone you're not. Exactly. It's very tiring trying to be someone you're not.
0: Yeah, it really is. It really is. Well, you know, again, so many words of wisdom from Bashar uh, that I know you've picked up on and have enfolded into your life. Another one that I absolutely love is circumstances don't matter. Only state of being matters. But the way he emphasizes matters, materializes Right. That's literal, isn't it?
2: Yeah, basically what he's saying is it's the state of being that generates the circumstance, not the other way around. Now, it's possible that if our beliefs and definitions are unconscious, we may not recognize that they're generating that circumstance, and we may think that the circumstance is creating our state of being but all it's doing is reinforcing a state of being. It's reflecting a state of being that was there to begin with in order to create the circumstance. So when we make these definitions conscious instead of unconscious, we start to realize that it's the other way around. The circumstances don't really determine your state of being, that you have to be in a certain state of being first in order to even experience a circumstance Mm -hmm. in a certain way. Mm -hmm. Now, circumstances, according to, to Bashar, are fundamentally neutral They don't have built in meaning. They're just a neutral set of props. But the meaning that you give them, whether consciously or unconsciously, determines how you experience that. And the circumstance itself doesn't even have to change. You could experience a circumstance very negatively, and you can experience the very same circumstance very positively. Because the circumstance doesn't have built in meaning, the effect you get out of it is utterly determined by the meaning that you put into it. Again, whether that's conscious or unconscious, doesn't matter. So it's all about becoming more aware of the meaning that you're automatically giving things, Mm -hmm. and that's what determines how you experience that particular set of circumstances and how you can use that circumstance as a reflection to understand where you're at and how to change in directions that you would prefer to instead of directions that you don't.
0: Mm -hmm. Words of wisdom. That's, that's huge. I think you're absolutely right there. I mean, yeah. when you know, when we talk about the <clears throat> left and right hemispheres of the brain and the very distinct roles that they play, and unfortunately, the fact that they've been so uh, margin, not marginalized, but sort of, um, what's the word I want to use? Uh, separated, they're, they're not working in sync, uh, not mm-hmm. for most, you know, when we talk about how we view circumstances, whether positively or negatively, uh right. you know it comes to mind that it's the left brain that's typically working overtime viewing it often negatively I, I remember somebody saying you know something will happen a circumstance will happen that could be viewed as negative and the left brain will say oh god you know what's going to happen now and I, you right. know this is horrible and the right brain will say oh, that's interesting.
2: Right. It's just very
0: neutral. Yeah, yeah. So it's a
2: balancing act. You have to have a balancing act because, you know, certainly the left brain has a job to do, Mm -hmm. but it's got to be done in balance with the right side where you're willing to open up to the possibility that even if something was generated initially from a negative point of view or a negative state of being that doesn't mean you can't still turn it around and get a positive benefit from it it's all about neutralizing it staying in the present being in that moment and really being willing to take responsibility for the way you're experiencing life the way you're perceiving things And to understand that you always have the power and you always have the opportunity and the choice to learn from things no matter what they are and Mm -hmm. propel yourself in a positive direction from that point forward.
0: I think that's so empowering. I just think it's so empowering that it's really our choice. And, you know, I'm going to get into the Seth material because I know you're a big fan, as I have been for years, and uh, the idea that uh, you create your own reality. Um, this is, I think, one way in which or at least we are the we are the creator and the perceiver of our reality. Um, it's very interesting. Yes. But listen, I want to say way more to you, Daryl. You've been on a journey and I might say a passion for 30 plus years now, right? Yes, um, I've been
2: channeling for 30 years.
0: Amazing. And and obviously your relationship with Bashar uh, is is just absolutely you've you've just brought so much to so many. I know many know your story as to how this all began for you, but for those who may not, and I'm kind of going back a little bit, going backwards, might you give (laughs) us, and I know you've told it a few times, might you give us a snapshot of how this incredible journey started for you?
2: Absolutely. Very briefly, it really began in 1973 when on two occasions in broad daylight, I had very, very close UFO sightings. First time about 150 feet away and the second time about 70 feet away, both times with witnesses and that propelled me into a direction of wanting to learn what that was all about because once i had seen something like that i instantly knew that the world was not what we were taught that it was Mm -hmm. that there was a whole other level to this reality uh... that most people didn't even understand or know about so in investigating those kinds of things especially back then it was very common to run into other books about psychic functioning esp channeling and so forth and so i just kind of like went down the line in the bookstore and started just researching all those kinds of of phenomena. And eventually, 10 years after the sighting, I was introduced to a channel who was doing seminars at the time. I went to listen to a live channel for the first time and thought, well, you know, this is interesting information. It's creating a positive perspective that can help us change lives in positive ways. And so uh, I just kept listening to it and understanding the principles that were being talked about. But eventually, that entity actually offered to teach channeling class. And I went into the class not so much because I thought I wanted to be a channel. Uh, I just wanted to understand how something like that could be taught because I just sort of assumed it was something that just sort of happened to people. Mm -hmm. It wasn't something that people learned to do. Um, But when I was in the class, which was a series of meditations and and mental exercises, and about halfway through the course, uh, when I was in one of the meditative states being directed by the entity, I received what I can only describe as this telepathic contact and it was like somebody just suddenly shoved uh you know a CD in my head it was just like all this information was suddenly there like I understood that the UFO had been shown to me on purpose to get me to start learning what I needed to learn that I made uh, I had a memory come back of having made an agreement in this life to do this with Bashar and The message from Bashar was, okay, now you understand that you made this agreement. Now you know it's time to begin if this is something you still wish to do. It was still offered as a choice. And at the moment, I mean, all this happened in a split second in my head, and I didn't say anything. I I didn't know if I was hallucinating or this was some weird side effect of the meditation. Mm -hmm. But as this was happening, The instant it happened, the entity coming through the teacher who was talking to the class stopped talking and turned right to me and said, there's an entity here for you now if you're ready to begin. And at that very same moment, I happened to glance over and I saw that the image of Bashar that I had seen in my head during that transmission, somebody else in the class had somehow picked up on that peripherally. And she was actually sketching the image on a piece of paper right there that I had just seen in my head. So I instantly understood that, okay, there's something else besides my imagination going on here because other people are picking up on this. And so because I already knew that it didn't really matter whether anyone believed or whether I believed that Bashar was real, I already knew that channeling was an altered state, a legitimate altered state, that could actually allow one to tap into things, information, energy, on a much broader level a different perspective and that it could bring through information that would be beneficial to people and for that reason alone i decided that i would keep practicing the channeling and see where it would lead well one thing led to another and eventually a woman came along who was doing the first doctoral thesis paper on the connection between psychology and channeling and she needed subjects to study for her paper and I became one of her subjects. And you know we would go to her house and she would invite her friends over and she would sit in her chair and take notes while I would channel to her friends. And we would do this once a week, and then the next week there'd be like, you know, twice as many friends, and then the next week there'd be like three times as many friends, and word of mouth kept spreading, and people started hearing about it in other cities and other countries, people were making recordings and sharing them, and so eventually I started getting invited to other cities and countries to do the channeling and here I am, thirty years later, and I'm still doing it.
0: Phew! You know, I have to tell you, I just saw some images, of, some pictures of you and the channeling state in the early days. You mm-hmm. still, you still look good, man. You look a little different, but you still. <laughs> it's been a wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. Thirty yes. years. Wow, that is a long run. <laughs> a long run. You know, you mentioned um, that you recall having when you when you had this initial sort of interaction. That you mm-hmm. do recall having made the agreement. You had a memory.
2: Yes, a memory came back
0: really?
2: from some level of my consciousness of having actually made an agreement to do this in this life with Bashar.
0: Was it a very lucid memory? Do you recall uh, how many details were given when you had this memory?
2: No, there were no details. It was just like you suddenly remembered mm-hmm. an incident, and and that's all it was. It's just like this thing came back that felt like a memory coming back that you just go oh yeah I remember bang I made this agreement right. done you know right. so it was just kind of a reinforcement of something that it seemed like I had forgotten.
0: Isn't that interesting would, it, would you liken it to having a dream and so often you know you're trying to remember a dream and when you wake up you don't but then somehow it seems almost arbitrarily in the middle of the day little little yes. nuggets come back similar was it, it was similar? similar
2: to that idea you just kind of like suddenly go oh yeah I yeah. remember. Wow.
0: Must have blown your mind. Wow.
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. (laughs) Like I said, I wasn't even sure at the moment that I wasn't just, you know, hallucinating or making this all up. Well,
0: of course. Yeah. But then you see this individual sort
2: of (laughs) sketching
0: an image. May I ask what you saw in terms of what Bashar looks like?
2: Uh, His people have described themselves as what has now become classically known as hybrids which are kind of a cross between Earth humans and a species that we have called the greys. And so they kind of look like us because we are actually genetically connected. Um, But they're about five feet tall on average. Their skin is very pale. It's almost paper white. Their eyes are much larger than ours. They do have irises and pupils, but they're much larger than ours. Um, They're um, relatively slender. Uh, They have kind of an Asian look, a little bit, but not extremely. Uh, The males have no hair. The females do. It tends to be white, although there are exceptions. Um, And they're kind of like that. Wow. Wow.
0: Well, that could take us off on a whole nother tangent. Maybe we'll have time to come back to that, because I have a whole slew of questions on that.
2: Right. Well, one of the things things that we're doing, I mean, right now we're in the, I mean, you know, my other passion, what I've been doing also for 30 years is I'm a filmmaker. Yes. And, uh, you know, recently we have now um, recently created uh, a Bashar documentary that's in post-production right now. So Mm -hmm. it's called First Contact, and it's all about, the story of how I became a channel, what channeling is, demystifying the whole concept of channeling, who Bashar is, what his messages are all about, what his world, his reality looks like, and that this entire process might in fact be a precursor to actual physical contact with Mm -hmm. his and other extraterrestrial societies. So in the documentary, we're using visual effects and and CG imagery to show people, like what I saw. We did actual reenactments of the UFO sightings I had. We uh, have CG images of what Bashar and his people look like, what his planet looks like, his ships so on and so forth. So people will finally get to see you know, what I'm seeing in my head when I'm channeling, when he's describing himself or he's describing his society, mm-hmm. and people will get to see what I saw when I had the UFO sightings and all of that. So we're very excited about this, and, and um, hopefully sometime uh, this coming year in 2015, we'll be able to get this film into film festivals and see if we can't get it distributed. Absolutely.
0: Well, I got to tell you, you beat me to the punch, man, because I wanted to spend all the whole back half talking about first contact because I know that that's going to be so exciting and so many of uh, fans of Bashar and of your work will <laughs> want to see that. Maybe we can even retouch that before we close out because I really oh, wanted course. to spend some time on that. But let's sti- let's stick with the, the your. Well, not initial, but once you started to have an understanding of your connection to Bashar, you've described Bashar as being a future version of yourself. And, you know, yet as we consider that idea that past, present, and future may be playing out concurrently, right? might this other version of you, a future version of mm-hmm. you called Bashar, exist right now in one of these other versions of this planet, almost like a back to the future idea, but all existing right now?
2: Well, it does all exist right now, and I use the term future because that's what most people understand from a linear perspective. Mm-hmm. That's how we would view his reality, as if it is in the future. But, yes, he exists in a concurrent parallel reality on another planet that exists at exactly the same time ours does, uh, but it's just that from our linear perspective, we would consider him as being in the future. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay.
2: But it's okay. the same idea, the same, it's like saying, it's the same soul in two different expressions mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. the same time. And that's the reason, the fact that everything does exist at the same time is the reason why he can actually communicate through me. Because if I really was in the past or really he really was in the future, there would be no connection. The very fact that everything exists at the same time, even though it may not seem to, is the reason that the connection can actually occur. Exactly. Because all exist in the present. Yeah,
0: this, to me, may be one of the strongest evidence of what we call simultaneous time. I know Seth, uh, Jane Robert Seth material, spends a lot of time talking about that whole idea and probable realities, et cetera that
2: right. uh, but Bashar.
0: yeah to, yeah. i know yeah. i know well speaking of seth let's talk about that for a little bit because i know that mm-hmm. you're very very familiar with that material and i have to tell you that was really a paradigm shifter for me many years ago i've written extensively on on seth's work and he's inspired a lot of what i've had to say mm-hmm. do you you know because yeah. you're obviously so uh, intimately familiar with bashar and you're also familiar with the work of seth do you think that they there's some connection there in terms of where they may come from? Are they, has that ever been discussed?
2: Well, yes, to some degree, not extensively. I mean, Seth, as I understand it, is a, what we would simply recognize as a disembodied spirit of someone who once incarnated on earth. Bashar is actually a living extraterrestrial being who Mm -hmm. has ability To make a telepathic connection with me and has many traits that spirits exhibit because they're so highly evolved but he actually is a physical being okay Okay. and they come from you know in a sense he actually does come from another world literally you know a civilization um and they understand the idea of the spirit level and and so on and so forth and because of where they're at they like i said they exhibit many traits that are common to spirits Um, but it is, from our perspective, generally speaking, two completely different things. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting is, somebody once pointed this out to me, and I'm, I'm not exactly sure where it is in the Seth material, and I can't say for an absolute fact that Seth was referring to Bashar, but there does seem to be what people call a prediction at some place in the Bashar material, where he actually talked about the fact that there would actually be an extraterrestrial talking about similar stuff that he talked about at some point in the future, um, and I have no idea if he's referring to Bashar or something else. Right. But I found it interesting.
0: Yeah, do you don't happen to know where that's mentioned? He's got so much material. I don't know there. where
2: that section is. and yeah. I've got
0: just about every book, including the early sessions of Jane Roberts, so I, I might have to start to. You know, I, I vaguely recall hearing something similar myself. That's that's quite interesting, because, you know, I, I do find that the the um, integrity of the material, both from Seth and Bashar, and the sort of perennial messages that have been born out of those messages are somewhat similar. They're powerful. They
2: are. Yeah, they are, and like I said, it's just kind of it's it's interesting to notice that no matter what the source, when you really key into the basic understanding of the existence of creation, a lot of the information does overlap. A lot of the information does have uh, a similar perspective, even though it might have a slightly different resonance to it or a mm-hmm. different uh, uh, a different delivery to mm-hmm. it.
0: No question. Okay. We're going to bounce a little bit. I'm kind of going on my intuition to to, to, sure, sure.
2: <laughs>
0: to uh, see where we go next. I want to, let's see, where shall we go? I want to go back uh, perhaps to that initial sighting, uh, Daryl. Uh, now, mm-hmm. I know you had mentioned that uh, back in, I'm sorry, 1973, Three. 1973, the year that we moved mm-hmm. into this home, actually. Um, you said that you had some individuals with you in the car. I believe you said they were family members, right?
2: Yes, I had my brother, my sister, and a very close friend and her brother all in the car the first time, and then just myself and the friend in the car on the second sighting, which happened a week later.
0: And so those were the witnesses, so to speak. Those those individuals saw this those ship are the as witnesses. well. I've heard... Yeah, and yeah, go ahead.
2: No, I was going to say, and in the documentary, we actually do talk to three of them now as adults. Oh, fantastic. So they're, they're remembering back to that incident that we show the reenactment for.
0: Oh, that's super. That's huge. Yeah. That's going to be great. Well, the reason why I bring that up again, Daryl, is because I've heard you mention that although you and your people that were in your immediate... Um, area in the car with you uh witnessed the ship mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. had perhaps looked around i think you were on the freeway and right. did n- and noticed that perhaps others were not seeing
2: i could not see anyone else looking up at this thing and i know that that actually is a phenomenon that happens mm-hmm. quite often in certain ufo sightings yes. where it seems as if the frequency so to speak of the sighting is something that only a few people are tuned into and other people just simply don't even notice it now that may have been the case I don't really know because obviously I couldn't get out of my car and question anybody mm-hmm. um, but yes I, everyone in the car saw it solidly and I couldn't see that anyone else driving near us was looking up at this thing
0: I find that fascinating, I too have heard that that there, there perhaps is some sort of a frequency, a vibration that the, the witnesses are on and perhaps the a, a consciousness connection that's made between the entities right. in the ship and the, the experiencers. Um, right. You know, if, if you are not of a certain acceptance, even you you won't be shown that. Uh, right. So I do find that interesting. The other thing is, you know, we talk about. I want to kind of talk a little bit about the this idea of multiple versions of reality. Mm-hmm. Could it be that you're having seen witnessing? uh the ship on two occasions were you perhaps in an alternate reality i don't mean an altered state but another version of reality even just for that short period of time
2: well to me there's no difference between an altered state and an alternate reality because as bashar explains it we are actually shifting through billions of parallel versions of earth every second anyway that's mm. what act- creates the side effect we call time and change and movement To him, parallel realities are actually just frozen snapshots, and we actually have to project our consciousness through a series of them in a certain succession in order to create the illusion of movement, time, and change in much the same way that a projector light has to move through a succession of frames of film in order to project the illusion of movement in a movie on a movie screen. He's basically saying that physical reality is actually kind of structured by analogy, in a very similar way. So every single moment, we're actually already shifting through billions of parallel realities. So yes, I would say that an altered state and an altered reality are actually pretty much the same. thing.
0: Really? I've never heard it mm-hmm. described that way. That's interesting. And yet, hmm, when we think of an alternate <clears throat> or uh, altered state, you know, thinking of the mm-hmm. brain waves, the alpha state, the eventually delta mm-hmm. state, etc. You think of yourself being a meditative state that you're not mm-hmm. cognizant of the physical reality around you, and yet I I have heard so many instances of people, including myself, who feel that on some mm-hmm. level they are traversing these other realities, but fully conscious, therefore
2: right. not
0: in an altered state as we understand it.
2: Well, or in the altered state that's necessary to be capable of being aware that you're actually traversing those realities.
0: Mm. Mind-twisting, <laughs> I would say. Yeah, well, I think little...
2: that's part of the, yeah, it's part of the idea of, of learning to live more in the present. When yeah. you're really more focused in the now, <clears throat> it's kind of like your frequency, your consciousness starts matching the frequency of the shifting that you're doing, and you start recognizing that you actually are traversing all these altered states. And yet, at the same time, you start recognizing that all these altered states exist at the same time. So it's kind of this weird paradoxical point of view and weird experience that's sort of, I'll just... This is probably a very crude analogy, but I do think that this is connected to it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a version of the idea of deja vu.
0: I can't believe where, I, said that. I was just going to say yeah. deja vu. Go ahead. Yes. Yeah,
2: exactly. Because as Bashar has explained it, look at what's happening in the experience that we call deja vu. You know what's about to happen because it feels like it's already happened before. So you're looking at the idea of a forward arrow of time and a backward arrow of time overlapping simultaneously where you experience two different realities or a multitude of realities at the same time and are aware that there are multiple realities overlapping at the same time.
0: I am. If you could see the expression on my face right now, Gerald, as you were about to go into this, quote, crude analogy, I thought it was a great one. I was literally typing the word deja vu before you mentioned it.
2: And that's another thing that happens when you're living in the yep. moment is I way know. more synchronicity because everything is connected. So it. that's not surprising anymore. And I think it's going to be experience. I agree. More and more and more by people who really get more aligned with themselves. Synchronicity, in that sense, just becomes par for the course.
0: Par for the course. In fact, that's a big part of my platform. Uh, those that know my work uh, know that synchronicity is something that I've talked about in great detail, and and I really do feel that it's something that needs to – I believe it's literally a language that the universe speaks, and mm-hmm. it's something that you don't look for. I have clients that say, how do I – I'm looking for synchronicity. I say, oh, I don't know if you look for it as much as recognize it. And right, the, exactly. Right. And the more that you acknowledge it, the more, uh, you know, I even tell people, say aloud, synchronicity. I think we might start to magnetize more of that type of experience. So, fabulous. Wow. Right. Dave, and I also
2: I also believe that it's one of the ways that the higher mind actually communicates with us. hmm no Because possible. when we experience that, then we're understanding that we're more in alignment with the information coming from it. And that's, again, why we experience it at such a heightened level of apparent sort of magic. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying?
0: Absolutely. Do you think you you have made reference to these times that we're living in right now? Do you think that things like deja vu, uh, synchronicity, uh, other so-called anomalous experiences will become even more... uh, uh, you know, um, the norm, if you will?
2: Yes, yes. I I think that that's one of the symptoms, so to speak, of the upliftment of consciousness and Mm -hmm. the expansion of consciousness is you start perceiving things in a very different way. You start perceiving that things are one thing, expressing itself as many different things, expressing itself in a very connective and associative way, and you just start seeing things from that perspective rather than so linearly. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. You know, I'm thinking about the work of Dolores Cannon. I'm sure you're familiar with her work and her Convoluted Universe uh, series. And I believe maybe in the last one, she really... Focuses on this eventual splitting off of worlds, and the way she describes it, it's almost as if there, it's a physical splitting off. I don't know yes. how I feel about that, but what's the correlation there, Daryl, with what we're talking about with the many, really the many worlds theory, quantum right. physics?
2: Yeah, Real- exactly. Well, I think it's an exact correlation. In other words, since we're since we're shifting and splitting all the time. Uh I think that what she's simply referring to is the idea that as we determine for ourselves what vibrational state we prefer more and more and more and more, we take ourselves down a series or a path of parallel realities that we start shifting through that start to take on a quality more often that is starting to become more and more differentiated from paths that other people might be taking that are not vibrationally compatible with that. And so we start feeling or experiencing more and more distance between the reality we keep experiencing Mm -hmm. and a reality that other people might be experiencing until such time as it may be that that splitting, based on our insistence on a particular frequency, may make it so that it's no longer possible eventually in the years to come to experience anyone or anything that is not vibrationally compatible Mm -hmm. with the reality stream we prefer, which means that other people may no longer be being perceived in our reality anymore, but they may be perceiving something in their reality that is very different from ours, and it would be representative of the kind of split, that dolores is talking about
0: that's really interesting yeah I've, I've heard reference that the way you've described that and i'm wondering if that's not happening to some degree right now i mean you know you think oh, of always Constantly. yeah yeah but i mean even more visible to uh mm-hmm. to those you know you think of those that are have sort of this i don't want to i don't want to be polarizing or you know present sort of these opposites but the people that are for instance in the alternative space that are definitely more rooted in what we're talking about versus those who are still holding on for dear life to what I call the brick and mortar reality those Mm -hmm. are two very dichotomous you know positions Mm -hmm. to be in I've thought about that could it very well be that in time we may not those of us that are on one side (laughs) of the fence may not perceive those in the others and vice versa
2: Yes, because it is actually a physical shift, because it's a physical shift all the time. That's how we create our physical experience, because it is just a projection. It is just an illusion of consciousness. There's no solid physical reality outside of our experience or consciousness of it. So the idea that we're constantly shifting that way is determining what we experience physical reality to be. Mm -hmm. And Bashar has sort of used um, a different analogy for that, and he basically used the analogy of a train station, where you have all the tracks in the station are all next to each other. They're all lined up. But the different trains, when they leave the station, go off in different directions. And so he's kind of like saying, well, you know, the tracks start diverging more and more and more and more, and they get farther and farther apart as this train is going to one city and another train is going to another city. So basically he's saying, beyond the train you want to be on, because the farther apart the tracks get and the farther apart the trains get, it may be more difficult for you to figure out how to jump from one train to another, hmm. because then they might be so far apart, they might be beyond your horizon to even imagine how you could catch up to them. So he's urging everyone, get on the train you want to be on sooner before it gets too far away from the station.
0: I love that analogy, and I think this brings us full circle about passion. You know, there's mm-hmm. the train of passion <laughs> once you've discovered right. it, then there's the train of survival, the train of what you've been taught. I think that's right. a perfect analogy. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, you know, again, speaking of passion and, and imagination and creation, I want to spend the balance of our time talking about first contact because Daryl, I know that one and, and I am sending energy your way, I know this is I know this is going to come to fruition in a big way. Oh it is. So I've heard you talk about, if you don't mind, I would like to to dig in a little bit more to what we're in store for. One of the things, I don't want to give it away, I want to have you talk about it, Mm -hmm. that you, I believe, is covered in this documentary, or will be, is um, testing brainwave function when you're in the channeling state. Can you talk about that?
2: A little bit. That's one of the things we definitely wanted to do was, to demonstrate very clearly in the most scientific way we could that the channeling state is a truly altered state. Now, again, this doesn't mean that Bashar is real. It doesn't prove anything along that line. But what it does demonstrate very clearly is that there are significant changes in my brainwaves or the brainwaves of anyone when they go into a channeling state. So I did have my head wired up to an EEG machine uh, and did do a channeling session specifically to see what we would find. And, and all I will say at the moment, just to sort of um, tease mm-hmm. the audience, mm-hmm. is the uh, EEG technician was very surprised by some of the findings that came out, uh, some things that, according to the technician, are not even supposed to be possible were discovered in the readings that we got from the channeling state. So I'll just say that that will be a segment in the documentary, and people will see very clearly what is happening, at least in my brain specifically, when I'm actually channeling Bashar. And some of the uh, things we discovered are actually truly eye-opening.
0: That really is a teaser, because I know a lot of people are going to want to see that. You know, again, and it, it's it's really... It, it, this is substantive, obviously. It's, it's really... It, empirical evidence that something out of the ordinary is going on and yet at the same time there's a part of me that says do we re- were- are we at the point where we still need to prove that something else is really going on that all of these things are possible you know it's uh, this is, yeah. this yeah. is
2: the kind of thing we're doing this for the reason we're doing that is, is really not just to you know say oh the channeling state is, is so much more esoteric we're actually trying to say the opposite thing which is the channeling state is a natural state we all do it We all have the ability. Mm -hmm. And any time anyone is doing what they love to do, when they're not keeping track of time, when they're in a state of peak performance, when they're in a deep meditative state, when they're in the zone, that's a channeling state. So we all it. And that's one of the reasons why we wanted to include a lot of this in the documentary, is we really want to demystify these concepts. We want to take the definitions out of the medieval mindset Mm -hmm. of outdated, outmoded definitions, and really bring these things into the 21st century and just show that, you know, this is really something quite natural, uh, quite doable, and that we actually all do it from time to time. Mm
0: -hmm. I would agree with you. I mean, you look at your I mean this is an extreme state, uh, although I believe it was a conscious channel uh, we think of our great composers like Mozart and Beethoven and Bach, exactly. et cetera you know it's all channeling state oh I have no doubt about that. do you think anyone can well you I think you just said that and p- we all do yes. channel to an extent, but in Absolutely. terms of uh well how would how would you define it maybe uh you've
2: got to be in alignment with your passion you that's that's the thing that passion tells you passion, excitement, that state of being is our physical translation of the vibratory resonance that represents our true self. And so anytime you act on the things that contain the highest amount of it, no matter what that may be, no matter what form that may come in, that's your higher mind communicating directly to you, saying, this sensation is telling you, this is your compass needle pointing you in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Follow it. Act on it. And when you do more often than not, you will be acting from the channeling state in the things that you do, and you'll have inspiration, and you'll have activities, and you'll have opportunities, and all these things that will all key into that state and allow you to continue to expand that state of excitement by moving in that direction and being willing to remain aligned to that energy. Mm-hmm. That's how it works. in from Bashar's point of view, this is, not, you know, this is not just a philosophy. As far as he's concerned, this is actually physics. You're just vibrating in accord to the resonance that is most representative of your unique signature frequency that makes you the unique being that you are in creation. And by staying aligned with it, by acting on that excitement, you're going to experience the path of least resistance in your mm-hmm. life because you're flowing with your true frequency instead of resisting it. Mm-hmm. So as far as he's concerned, this is just nothing more than a physics lesson.
0: Yep, I agree. I absolutely agree. Do you think that there might be, uh, Daryl, any physical barometer, I mean, we think about the senses, the feelings that are coming from the heart, the, the solar plexus area, uh, smell, I don't know, any type of a physical barometer that might, uh, obviously, in addition to the fact that we're feeling good about doing something, we're in our passion, that might give mm-hmm. us a trigger that we're on the right track?
2: Well, I do experience myself, and I know other people have, that when you do stay in that state, when you keep choosing that state and acting from it, you certainly have a much more um, strong sense, stable sense of emotional balance, mental balance, uh, spiritual freedom, uh, creative expression. You just feel more fulfilled. Uh, Things happen in your life in a very magical way. You experience more concepts of abundance. I mean, yes, you constantly get feedback, from creation when you're in that state that supports that state so not only in your body but in the reflections that you get around you and and all sorts of things absolutely Mm -hmm. it's constantly reinforcing itself constantly self-perpetuating and constantly Uh self-guiding
0: i agree with you okay well, you know I'm thinking again and we're, we're winding down here, but um you know going kind of going back again to the beginning of talking about mm-hmm. people who think they're in their passion or think they have a passion uh, but yet conversely they're getting every single tell- signal telling them mm-hmm. that it's not wor- it ain't working <laughs> it's not right. working right. so i right. would it be fair to assume that they have mistaken their
2: passion? Generally speaking, the definition of following your passion means it's the path of least resistance. So mm-hmm. if you're feeling that kind of resistance, then that might be a clue that you might be banging your head against a brick wall instead of simply turning left and going in the direction that you really need to go in. Mm-hmm. I would say that you know, that's oversimplified, but generally, yes, I find that to be true. hmm
0: I think what you're saying is powerful. The universe is literally sort of an oracle, or what I like to refer to as universe, a, yeah. d- a sensory system, a built-in mechanism that is there to prompt you and bow its head and give you that wink and nod. That's fabulous. Mm-hmm. That's a great thing.
2: Yeah, and when you're in the proper state, it's easier to see those signals. Mm-hmm. Because, again, remember, if you're not in that state, it's much more difficult to see those signals because you're not vibrating in a chord with the level those signals exist on. So if you just choose to be in the state of happiness, in the state of excitement, in the state of self-support, instead of doubting your worth, doubting yourself, all these kinds of things, buying into fear-based ideas, then you stay in a state where it's much easier to see those signals, those signs, those road markers that will unerringly guide you into circumstances that are much more representative of who you prefer to be. Mm-hmm. Again, it's just like vibration to like vibration, but if you're not that vibration first, you just can't see those things. Mm-hmm.
0: Well said. Well, we open up this okay. segment with, uh, you know, a friend of yours who was in that vibration and look what happened. I think that's just mm-hmm. a, a prime example. And you're, you embody that as well, Daryl Anka. You are just, you've just, I want to thank you so much for all that you've imparted oh, wow. okay. to so many. And again, I'm going to give a plug first. Contact, I believe, is the name of the, of the documentary.
2: Yes. Eventually people will be able to get more information both on the Bashar dot org website and on my production company website. Which is Zia Films, Zia Z-I-A-F-I-L-M-S. Okay. com, Z I A F I L M S. com, and which they'll also other you know, find other works that we've done there. Uh, we have one there called Dearly Departed, which is a film that's about the afterlife and what uh, people may experience there. So if they're interested in these kinds of things and in first contact, uh, they can find out about that on, on uh, either website.
0: Okay, well, we'll make sure to have both linked up, Bashar.org and ZiaFilms.com. Okay, Daryl what a pleasure. Oh, so exciting. (laughs) And
2: you as well. I mean, I appreciate you doing this. This is, you know, part of your excitement. Absolutely. And I I appreciate your willingness to act on it.
0: Well, thank you. Thanks, and it's been my pleasure. You take care.
2: You too. Thanks, Alexis.
0: The work of Daryl Anka and Bashar continue to intrigue and inspire countless individuals all over this planet. And now, with the forthcoming documentary about the life of Daryl and Bashar, entitled First Contact, we'll get yet another glimpse of the magic, the mystery, and the metaphysics of what these two dynamic personalities have shared for over three decades. If you'd like to learn more about the work of Daryl Anka and where you can find out more about the messages of Bashar, please visit the links we've listed below this interview. As always, we thank you for tuning in to Conscious Inquiry. Until next time, I'm Alexis Brooks.